Hello and welcome to a hurting Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowAwesomeAndRivals.com. Still struggling possibly with that loss. There's obviously a ton of conjecture and talk about it on Twitter and, of course, our premium boards at Iowa.Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host for this site, Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by our publisher, Adam Jacoby, and of course, our managing editor, Ross Binder, here on this episode of Hotcast. Hawkeyes fall 26-0 to to Michigan in the Big Ten title game. Each of us wrote uh, separate pieces, separate columns on the website, which you will be able to find in the description of this podcast, of course, Adam being one of those. And Adam, we always start with you in, in these pods Biggest takeaways from from this loss to to Michigan, and and what are you thinking as as Iowa moves into this like quasi off season prep month before the bowl game, where everybody's just kind of chilling for a month? Well, I, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting month of off season, and then you know, starting on January two, there there's you know, going to be a lot to focus on there but you know we can we can get to that in time in terms of the game itself you know it it was frustrating because it was sort of a microcosm of all the things that had frustrated Iowa fans all season long it was a big part of that too is because Michigan's really really good at football and good in a way that stymies all the ways that Iowa is good Michigan is able to keep up on special teams. Uh, they controlled the ball very well. I mean, McCarthy, when I wrote about it uh, after the game, I think there were about two passes out of 30 that McCarthy threw that Iowa had any chance of really like getting a hand on or, or getting two hands on. Uh, couldn't turn either of them in an interceptions. One of them was just a bad bounce off the receiver's hands. The other one, was a really bad bounce off of Nick Jackson's hands, but that was that was it. After thirty passes, so much of it was just dink dunk those like precise timing stop routes that you really can't throw unless you've got a five star QB. And my goodness, JJ McCarthy, that guy has every skill you would want out of a quarterback. And being that Michigan is built so well to beat teams like Iowa. I can understand if Iowa fans see Michigan and think, why not us? Why can't we have that, right? Stylistically, pretty similar. Um, You know, Michigan played some pretty complimentary football. Michigan's execution, I thought, was excellent. All of those things are Iowa football. And not exclusively, obviously, but all of those things are sort of part of the plan and part of what fans are familiar with seeing. And so on a stage like the Big Ten Championship, stakes could not be higher, you know, in the conference and especially for a program like Iowa after a season like that. And then you run up against a team that has earned its way to number one with that win, uh, you know, outplayed Iowa. There, there's really no way about or no way around that. Outplayed them, out talented them. Um, Iowa outcoached them, I would say. But when the execution isn't there to match it, it really doesn't matter, and it didn't matter on Saturday. So it was that was about the outcome that we would expect. 
you know, uh, coming into the game, 26 to zero would have sounded about right to us. And uh, the way that it happened, though, has got to be frustrating. We know it was frustrating for the players. It's got to be frustrating for the fans. Uh, and really serves as a reminder that Iowa, it, it you know, serves, sort of serves as like a goalpost for Iowa to meet that, all right, if you really want to execute the way that Kirk talks about, you really want to do all those things complimentary-wise that he talks about, that's what it's going to look like. And it is good enough for number one. So it's a nice little proof of concept, but it's also really frustrating for Iowa fans who think, why can't we have that? And I think that's a, I think it's a solid question and, and not, you know, it's, it's one that deserves a lot of, um, you know, effort in answering, uh, uh, you know, well past just calling it rhetorical and moving on. So that's, that's what I thought. Um, Ross, what did you see, especially, you know, with the benefit of TV? I mean, I would say that what I saw was similar to what you were seeing in person, but you know, the, the offense's inability to move the ball, to sustain drives, um, none of this was surprising to anyone who's watched Iowa football this season. I mean, these were the same problems. The same problems they had in week one, they had last night. And to an extent, you know, I think you can be critical of the coaches for that because these are problems that were never fixed. But they were also problems that were never fixed because they're was no way to fix them in the sense that Iowa, you know, you talked about out being out coached and out talented in, in some ways. And the talent gap was the big disparity that was on display very noticeably in that game last night. I mean, you look at the talent Iowa had on the offensive line that Iowa had at quarterback, um, you know, especially those positions I think were glaring weaknesses for Iowa in that game. Um, you know, the running backs, I think we've seen that Caleb Johnson and LaShawn Williams are, are very capable backs, but they also need linemen to block for them. They need a quarterback in a passing game that can, you know, give them some breathing room. And, you know, they didn't get that last night. But the offense just, uh, you know, the once Michigan, Michigan knew exactly what Iowa was going to do, and they were – you know, very, they have certainly have the talent on defense to be able to, you know, slow down whatever Iowa's trying to do, um, whether that's run the ball, uh, pass the ball, you know, whatever they were trying to use to move the ball down the field, Michigan knew exactly how to stop it. And that's something Iowa has to, and that's something that I think we've seen in the, a lot of these recent games against the, the Michigans and the Penn States and the Ohio States, like, they treat Iowa like an open book. They know exactly how to defend Iowa. Um, and they defend it very, very well. And they make the offense almost impossible. I think that's something Iowa is going to need to look at very hard in the off season, especially with a new offensive coordinator coming in. Uh, and the degree of difficulty increasing in the conference, because you're adding USC and Washington and Oregon and UCLA. Um, the talent is not getting, you know, there's going to be more talent in the Big Ten. And Iowa's ability to keep up is going to be predicated on how well they can move forward on the offensive side of the ball. It's bleak right now. It's very bleak. I mean, I don't know how you can look at that game last night or all season and not 
conclude that it's really bleak. Elliot, so, when we were in the um, press box, there was one play, and it was, you know, on paper, it's just going to look like a five, six-yard completion from McCarthy to, I want to say it was Roman Wilson, but, it you know, it could have been any of the Michigan receivers. But what was, you know, on paper, it, it looks as nondescript as anything. Uh, but what was striking about it was it, the throw was not really great. It wasn't really on target, but the receiver made a, a dive, like a great diving, clean catch uh, coming back to the ball to, you know, bring it in. And they ended up getting like six or seven yards instead of zero. And I leaned over to Elliot in the press box after that play. And I said, how many guys on Iowa's roster do you think make that catch? And we settled on somewhere between zero and one, depending on how you think about Caleb Brown. And that's not a knock on the guys that are in that receiver room otherwise, because they're capable of doing, you know, really productive and and good things. But it is sort of a stark reminder that when you have talent on Michigan's level, on that four-star level, it's okay if your quarterback's throw is, you know, a foot low or two feet low because the receivers have that, like, catch radius to be able to turn that low throw into six yards. If that happens with Deacon Hill and, you know, name any Iowa receiver, it or or Cade McNamara or Spencer Petrus or Nate Stanley, right? Like, I'm not trying to pick on Deacon here or any specific Iowa receiver, but how many times over the last few years have we seen a throw exactly like that? Just like skip at the receiver's feet. And, you know, all you say is, well, you know, just execute better. Uh, and yeah, you do want to execute better. That should have been a better throw. And you can say, ah, well, you know, bad throw deserves the incomplete second and 10, or you can have enough talent to make that a good throw, a productive throw. And again, like all we're talking about here is a seven-yard pass. Let's say it's a seven-yard pass. But we're also talking about the difference between second and three and second and ten, or third and three and third and ten, or a first down and fourth down, right? Those seven yards can be really, really big in that specific moment, even if they're not macro big. And Michigan's ability to make those plays and Iowa's inability to make those plays, I thought was striking and helped push that lever in Michigan's favor. The chunk plays were the reason why Michigan won. Michigan made the big plays and Iowa didn't. But those little plays are how Michigan kept those drives running, which also, you know, fed into their ball control, which was dominant and, you know, got them to the point where they could, you know, put 26 points on the board as opposed to 19, 12, 3. Ross, what did you see? I was just going to actually push back a little on the chunk play point because they didn't really hit chunk plays aside from the uh, the, the big power turn, obviously, was an enormous play. But otherwise, they were really taking advantage of uh, turnovers from Iowa that put them up in good field position. And, you know, they had four field goals, and only one of them involved the drive where they went longer than like 25, 30 yards, I think. Yeah, you know, they were they'd get the ball, get a first down or two, and then they could kick a field goal. And I mean, that was, you know, you, looking at the things that were frustrating in that game, you know, the Iowa defense, 
it's hard to it, when they give up 26 points it's like oh they didn't have a great game they really did have a great game i mean they oh, yeah. they smothered michigan's offense um and held them to one of their lowest you know yardage totals in several years and the touch i mean the points they got were, it were almost impossible to defend you know we've the two touchdowns covered five yards and six yards. I mean, you can't even call that a touchdown drive. And um, yeah, yeah, Iowa's defense, half of them started the drive with their heels in the end zone. Yeah. Right. Let me what are you gonna do? Let, let me rephrase what I said. Not chunk play, but just big play, right? Like not chunk yardage, but turnovers, like you mentioned, the punt return, like you mentioned, like the big yeah. game changing plays that Iowa depends on four upsets like this. Michigan just That's made them all and Iowa didn't. Yep. That's all. That's true. Yep, that's true. Yeah. Elliot, where were you gonna you're gonna add something there too? So you guys have, have pretty much hit on on the three main points to take away from this game, right? There's the talent discrepancy that everybody knew going into this game. There's the predictability of Iowa's offense. Ross, you said Michigan pretty much knew what Iowa was doing going in. My, my mom knew what Iowa was doing going in. My mom couldn't name Iowa's starting quarterback. <laughs> so those are those are the two things that stick out. Brian Ferentz, this is your last Big Ten game coaching the offense, and you don't open up the playbook at all? You know, yeah. Somebody, somebody asked Kirk about it when they arrived um, in Indy. They did a little bit of uh, TV stuff. I think it was probably like five minutes to Kirk, maybe. Somebody asked him about opening up the offense, and he said, no, I think we just need to execute at what we're good at and stuff like that. And, you know, when you hear that, my thought was, oh, he's just, you know, pushing it to the side. They'll probably do something at the least, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, right. It's it's the Cooper conversation. Oh, no, we're not going to put him on offense. And then he gets two reps, right? Like, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> F me, right? Like, like I, I it was just there was there was no creativity. There were points over the final three games of the season where I genuinely thought, and I've said this a few times on the podcast. Wow, I play action there. I thought that was you know delay handoff, outside zone, something. It was going to be a run. It was actually play action. Threw me off from the booth. And it probably threw off the defense because that was probably the best that Deacon Hill has looked when the offense wasn't predictable, when they went outside of their tendencies. And he was able to take advantage of some of the things that the defense didn't see coming and schematically did some good stuff. Uh, Deacon's not dumb. Like, he's no. he's had some some turnover-worthy plays, you know, obviously. 13, and I think 11 or 13 turnovers so far. Um and obviously he has not performed to the uh, degree that he would like to. And he agree with you on that front, but he's not dumb. Mm -hmm. Like we interact with Deacon on a regular basis. Not only is a great dude, but like he's, he's smart. And the turnovers are not an issue to do with that. I think he's not put into a situation to succeed by way of what Brian has done with the offense. Additionally, you mentioned the big plays. One phrase that I didn't hear from you guys is missed opportunities. Yeah. They had those. opportunities. That uh, punt by Michigan that went like 20 yards, well, it went like 40 and then bounced back like 15. And then you fumble three, four plays later. Like, 
That looked like a fluke play. I mean, Jazz isn't a, a running back that, you know, continually puts the ball on the ground by any means. But, like, that Nick Jackson dropping, what, the gift of an interception, yeah. the another awful replay rearing its ugly head moment in the third quarter. Like, let's even point or let's let's even throw in there um, that 57 yard punt by Tory Taylor that he tried to cough in corner that somehow did not bounce out of bounds and just like found the end yep. zone instead. Like yep. so many of those weird bounces just didn't go Iowa's way. And when and they, they finally did, when they finally did get those few couldn't do anything with them. And they, those bounces had to go their way for them to have a chance. Again, said that all week. They had to be perfect. They had to take advantage of opportunities, and they just flat didn't. And uh, you know, sorry, Ali, I was just gonna you know follow up on that. You know, you're right. They was they didn't make the most of those opportunities, and that I think is what makes the play calling so frustrating to me, or more frustrating, because you know you mentioned that there wasn't much creativity, or you know they didn't open up the playbook as it were. And I think that's absolutely true. And, it, you know, I it, I think Iowa was – or Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz wanted to win this game with the, the same, you know, play the, the game in a phone booth, keep it tight, you know, the get the breaks to – hopefully the breaks go Iowa's way and they can make the most of those. But once it became clear that wasn't happening, you know, you got to have a plan B. Like, if you can't win with plan A, you can't just keep hoping plan A is going to turn around at some point, especially once you get down – in the third quarter, you're down 17, nothing. It's like, all right, you know, what's the difference between losing 40 to nothing or losing 23 to nothing? Like about two plan, years. Cares. Right. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> yeah. And now that plan B can't be Deacon three, four step drop. And then he gets hit because Mason Richmond and Nick DeYoung couldn't protect him to save their lives. Well, That's your plan, they, they, they had a, yeah, I mean, they had a tough, tough task in front of them with Michigan's D-line. Don't and that just, wrong. Right, that just falls into that talent discrepancy that we've referenced. Yeah. The one one thing that I'll add to the point that you were making, Elliot, uh, we did, when we talked to Deacon after the game, um, one, I, I do want to point out, Deacon's eyes were red. And, you know, his voice was cracking. It, it was pretty clear that he had taken the, the loss pretty tough. It was, it was pretty a, an emotional loss for him and, and for the team and for the coaches and, and all of that. Right. Like this, this wasn't them just like walking on the field and just being like, ah, screw it. And, and not trying hard. Right. Like this was. I don't know. That was a really good a, Kirk Ferentz impression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, screw it. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk. That's that's. I wasn't even trying to do an impression of him. And, uh, <laughs> but regardless, like this meant a whole lot to them. And, and they, they really believed walking into there that running that game plan would be, you know, successful for them. And, you know, a lot of things do have to go their way and very few of them did. But one thing that when we talked to Deacon, we asked like, where were all the shots downfield? And, you know, we couched it in a slightly better way than that. But we he said, you know, there's there's a lot of underneath throws. And he basically said, yeah, you know, that was the game plan. It's just to get the ball out of my hands. So we didn't 
have, you know, pass rush on me as, as much. And, you know, we just wanted to get it in the receiver's hands, let them, you know, be in space, make one move and hopefully get some yardage. Right. So there was a thought to the game plan, right? There, there was a strategy. I don't think it was a good one. Uh, it didn't really challenge Michigan's defense. And some might argue that, you know, challenging them is sort of like challenging a tiger to a fist fight. But, you know, at some point, if you, if you want to coach that scared, then just don't coach, right? Don't, you, you can't coach scared of failure. And the fact that, and when we looked at the stats after the game, two attempts by Deacon Hill over 15 yards. I don't remember either of them. They're, they they were listed as both like incompletions over the middle of over 15 yards. 15, we're not talking about 30. We're not talking about 20. And we're not even talking about like the really tough 15 plus yard throws that are, you know, to the, to the corners. We're talking about middle, you know. Um, and against, against man coverage. Yeah. Yeah. Not even and, yeah. zone, and, like and finding so, holes in the zone. Like that's not. They they did they did run a little bit of zone and and Deacon said that threw him off a little bit but I'm sorry Adam continue your point yeah but uh, well to the larger point it was a situation where their plan wasn't working and like you said no plan B and when all you're doing is throwing short and not giving Michigan any reason to believe that deep throws are even coming. I mean, again, like when we were sitting in the press booth, how many times did I say, oh, there's no deep help on Caleb Brown's side or on Deontay Vines' side? Michigan, like whatever you're trying to do by throwing underneath and trying to get those one-on-ones, that is predicated on safeties being back. That is predicated on, you know, nine guys at most being within 10 yards of the um, line of scrimmage and not all 11 of them thinking, all right, our point of attack is going to be as close to the line of scrimmage as possible. And when you can't make a defense fear or like have to cover the entire field and Iowa just does not do that, you make their job so much easier. And I'm going to, the one last point that I'm going to make about making Michigan's job easier, uh, it was either, gosh, I think it was Hawkeye game film or or somebody like that uh, on Twitter. I'm pretty sure it's Hawkeye game film though, who I, I love reading, by the way, everybody go follow Hawkeye game film. If you do nothing else from this podcast, uh, but he mentioned about halfway through the season that one of the things that Iowa does against like tougher teams or, or when the offense is having a tougher time, like getting moving is they simplify the playbook and it, it's like, all right, no more audibles, right? No more. We're just going to get back to the basics. You know who loves when offenses do that? Opposing defenses, right? That you you are closing down the amount of like cues that the defenders even have to worry about. You're letting them pin their ears back at that point, right? I get from Ference's perspective why it's a all right. We don't want to make this too complicated because you don't want to like overload a QB, especially like Deacon Hill, right? You don't want to make, you, you want to put him in some position to succeed, but 
when you're also putting the 11 defenders in position to succeed, it's, it's a little bit of a, it should be a sign that the system, even if it had worked, if it had worked in the past, it's not working now. And it's not, you know, I mean, 10 wins is fun, but two shutouts and, and this growing pattern of being beaten by the big Ten's best in usually not competitive games that's really your cue that if the program goals are what they are, and that includes, you know, big 10 championships and, and, you know, high levels of performance, it has to start with closing that gap and coaching scared and, and giving four and five star defenders an easier job of defending your offense is not the way to go about it. It's just not. So you reference the difference in simplifying the playbook versus mixing things, mixing things up a little bit to make it easier on your offense. So not only do you make it easier to understand for the defense, you already have that discrepancy in talent. So you're, you're setting the, you're stacking the deck against yourself is what you're doing in that moment. Additionally, you mentioned the shutout. They were shut out at Penn state and it was the first time they'd been shut out since 2000. They were shut out. Uh, yesterday in the Big Ten Championship game, that was the first time they've been shut out twice in one season since 1978. Mm-hmm. Kirk loves to reference the past. Not when it comes to that stat, man. <laughs> there's, I, no, there's no good comparisons to be made of Hawkeye football in the 1970s. If you're comparing modern-day Hawkeye football to that era, something has gone, gone very, wrong. very wrong. <laughs> very bad. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 one thing that I'll point out: the last time Iowa got shut out in two seasons, um, and that was the last year of the Bob Cummings era in Iowa City. And what did Iowa do about that when it got shut out twice? It hired a coach from SMU named John Hayden Fry. Now, Beth Getz has a bit of a, a task in front of her. And she's not going to be the the um, you know the job or the um, supervisor of the uh, the new OC unless it's like James Ferentz, right? But there is going to have to be. I'm sorry, Ross. <laughs> there is going to have to be probably. Uh, she she said, you know, I let the coaches make those hires. I get it. If. Kirk wants to sort of bring this back to like, well, let's just execute the 1980s and 70s game plan better and things are going to work. You know, there, there might have to be, and I'm, I'm not saying like threaten your cash cow, but there, I would hope that there's going to be a discussion just sort of similar to, you know, the bump Elliott or yeah, the bump Elliott discussion, what that must've been in 1979. I say like, look, Football is important in Iowa City. We cannot let the Big Ten keep lapping us, or or at the very least, we, we want to close that gap and get closer to championship-level football. Iowa made the Big Ten championship and got drubbed, right? Iowa played, last time Iowa played Penn State, shut out, drubbed. Last time Iowa played Ohio State, drubbed, right? That gap has to close. And whether you're beating Nebraska 
all the time or Purdue all the time or Minnesota all the time, except for this year. But, you know, like there was a winning streak that uh, I think it was eight game winning streak that got snapped there. That's fine. That's great because that puts trophies in the room. and, And that is sort of the difference between, you know, keeping fans in the building and not. But if the program goals are a Big Ten championship, they have to figure out how to compete with those teams and not just a, well, maybe things will go our way. Because that, you know, the, the formula has worked, but it has stopped working too. And I don't know how you can watch that game from either the sidelines or on TV or up in the press box or every, or anything else. I don't know how you watch that and say, oh, yeah, it was close. Like, <laughs> it it was not competitive when Iowa had the ball. It was competitive when the defense was on the field to an extent. But, you know, even then, 26 nothing, And, you know, the, the room's full of guys with, you know, red eyes and Logan Lee is standing there having to defend his defense who just gave up 213 yards. And he's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm upset. Like, I, this was not a success because we lost and we gave up 26 points. You know, I, I thought that was a fascinating answer from him, but it's also a point where like, you know, let's cut that down to 19. If I was offense, it's even, you know, like taking care of itself in some hypothetical, let's cut it down to 19. If the offense can score 20 points, that's a win. That is right. Like that's the defense doing its job at a championship level already but since it's a 26 point loss he can't revel in that fact at all and you know complimentary football and all but mm-hmm. you know it, it's it it feels like you can't depend on the defense to be perfect like not against Michigan. hell no not not against michigan and not really against anybody else i mean it's just it's it's horribly unfair to the defense, and they've well, they been like good it. enough to I'll, make I'll it say work. This, but... Yeah, yeah. I understand they they have a standard they hold themselves to, and that's wonderful. That's why they are as good as they are. But realistically, if you're game planning and you know figuring out how to win football games, item one on the list can't be okay. Defense, hold them to zero points, and that's essentially yeah. what Iowa tries to do anymore. And you know the defense tries their dance to get close to that and they hold them to six, seven, 10, 12, 13 points. And they do an incredible job. You know, I, I don't want to besmirch them at all because what they do is beyond reproach essentially, but the, the offense has to hold up its end of the bargain. And like you said, you know, scoring 20 points would, you know, would win them so many games and, yeah, you know, you, the, the Michigan game is kind of everything in a microcosm, and it's exacerbated because of the the setting and the opponent and the prime time and everything. But the offense has looked like this all season long. It's looked like this for essentially going on three seasons now. Yeah. And it makes every game so difficult to win when so many of these games don't need to be difficult to win. Like a game against Michigan is always going to be difficult to win. Understandably, they're the number one team in the nation right now. They're 13 and 0, you know, talent up and down the, the roster. That's always going to be a tough game, acknowledged. But, you know, how many games did they have that were not one score games? 
in the final few minutes of the fourth quarter this year. You know, they're playing Minnesota and Nebraska and Illinois and, you know, almost everybody on their, their schedule, you know, is just getting into this, you know, knockdown, drag out, every play matters, you know, living on that edge of the razor for every play. And it's just, it's not a sustainable way to win football games. And they have, they, they can't keep doing that. <laughs> they can't keep getting yeah, away with it. <laughs> yeah. It's sustainable so, until it's not right. Yeah. Like it's, they, they won 10 games, but everyone's like, what? <laughs> they, they won't do that every year. And, and there's, there's so many more years where if they do that, it's closer to a two win season or a three win season or a four win season. And, and, and those don't happen very often in Iowa city, but it's just, it is just playing with fire, man. Especially after the death of the big 10 West. Yeah. Especially we're talking about scoring 20 points, all these other things. One point that I made last night, in my article about the Iowa offense, they've averaged 16.6 points per game. So much for 25 points per game is the first thing I'll say. Second thing I'll say, the off or excuse me, the defense has allowed 13.2 points per game all season. That includes the 31 to 0 loss, that 26 to 0 loss. They've allowed 13.2. That's fourth best in the country. Guess who they're behind? Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Right. But then one thing that has repeatedly been brought up and essentially been alluded to here is that if Iowa's offense was just average, just average, that's all they have to be, average. Again, this is in my article last night. Auburn, who finished the season 6-6, six and six, had the 65th ranked offense out of 130 teams going into this weekend. Uh, this is prior to championship games this weekend. They averaged 27.2 points per game. Dead average, dead in the middle of all median. Median is that the technical term of all the I, uh, the offenses in the country? I think that's technically right. Sixty fifth. Yep. And additionally, if I'm remembering my math correctly from last night, you take out the 41 points Iowa scored against Western Michigan, and that average of 16.6 drops to 14.5. In the grand scheme of numbers, that doesn't sound like a lot but in scoring football points in the big 10 west for iowa that's a shitload of points <laughs> yeah this i i i hate to continue to beat the dead horse here because we've all said it everybody who's listening knows it something has to change and I'll I'll say this, yeah, I've I've had conversations with some of my best friends where I can see clearly that something in their life is is awry, isn't going the way it should be. And I wait to say something until I feel like I need to. I sat down with a buddy of mine the other day and I said, something needs to change. How long did I wait? Month? Couple months? Not three years. <laughs> Not three years. And this hire is so ridiculously pivotal to how Kirk Ferentz ends his tenure in Iowa City. Now, we got a rough idea of who that who is that going to be recently in an article. 
You can check it out on iowithoutrivals.com if you're a, a premium subscriber. Um, if if you're curious, I can tag that on or, or uh, in in the uh, excuse me in the uh, the description of the podcast. Um, if you are not a premium subscriber, you can do that today. iowithoutrivals.com backslash subscribe. You can get a little bit of a hint at who that next coordinator will be for the Iowa offense. But man, does this does this come down to Kirk taking his hands off the offense? Or is it just simply who they hire as the next guy? Because to me, it's Kirk taking a step back, helping out with the offensive line, because that's his shtick, right? And obviously having input on the offense, but not having his hands on it, so to speak. Yeah, that was, you know, going back in the history of the Hawkeye football program, or at the, at the very least of the Kirk Ferentz era, you know, at first it was Ken O'Keefe was the offensive coordinator and people didn't like what he was doing. Then it was Greg Davis and people really didn't like what he was doing. Then it was Brian Ferentz and people really didn't like what he was doing. And there there was this like through line of it's the same plays. You know, there, there's going to be some differences in terms of like, oh, this was his inside zone or outside zone or, or you know, they at the first they were, you know, doing more like um, like assignment blocking. So it's not as if thing you know the playbook isn't the exact same as 1999. There there were not a whole lot of like empty sets that Kirk was running with Kyle mechanic quarterback or even Brad Banks for that matter. And some of that had to do with the fact that you know Fred Russell was in that backfield too, but to the larger point the offense has changed Evolved might be too strong of a word, but you know there are there are differences over the years. But sort of the through line through it all is, it's not very aggressive. It is not predicated a whole lot on timing. It like especially in terms of moving quarterbacks around. Gosh, how many times did we see JJ McCarthy you know, takes a snap, sprints out to a side, and that sprint is with his eyes downfield because he's waiting for a certain window to open that wouldn't have been open if he were in the pocket or, you know, if it were a second earlier or later, right? All of that is very precise and it requires a lot of timing and you have to recruit really well to be able to pull stuff like that off. But, you know, Iowa almost had Zach Wilson, you know, future number two Q or uh, uh, NFL draft pick, you know, granted one of the worst number two draft picks, but still like everybody thought. And Cougar killer. Gonna be- sorry. I, I had to drop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> you go to BYU, you know, a thing or two about Cougars, right? So, <laughs> but like the through line through it is I was bread and butter has been the same bread and butter for so long uh, and they don't want to do certain things. They don't want to put certain stresses on their own quarterback. They want to, they want to establish the run when, you know, the data says, if you really want to have a good, you know, a strong running game, you start with the passing game, right? Because what that does is that forces the defense to be like, all right, seven in the box. We have to like seven in the box tops. And when that happens, then you can start running the ball with, with, you know, lethal efficiency. 
the fact that Iowa has gotten leashed on Williams to almost 800 yards when there's no reason to ever have a safety deep <laughs> against this offense, like it's pretty amazing. And gosh, last year, Caleb Johnson averaged five yards a carry against that same, like, look, you know, the stack loaded defensive looks and the offensive line was worse, right? The fact that I was able to get even halfway productive with their running game against these stack fronts is borderline amazing, but it's also not good enough, right? We're, we're talking about 800 yards. We're talking about, I, I, I can't even remember if Caleb cracked a thousand last year. I don't think he did. Right. 770. Yeah. Yeah. We're, those are not game breaking numbers. Those are not how you sustain an offense, but it's still remarkable that they even got that far. And it's remarkable because as we've said a thousand times on this podcast already, Iowa makes it easy for opposing defenses to know what's coming and has been doing that for years and years and give credit to Kirk that, you know, give credit to Kirk that they still keep winning 60, 70% of their games, I guess, but it does not have to be this difficult. It really doesn't. And if by some magic, Kirk really does take his hands off the offense, puts in somebody who really knows how to develop that downfield passing game, because we've never really seen it from Iowa's offense. I think the last time a really good downfield passing game was in there was when, you know, Ken O'Keefe was still calling plays. That little stretch from Brad Banks 02, Chandler in 03 was not a great deep passer, but Drew Tate 04, 05, he was hurt in 06. 05 was probably the last time Iowa had a really lethal downfield passing game. I guess they did have DJK and Marvin McNutt. Yeah, I was I was going to say yeah. Stanzi and, and those two was a, a very potent. But even then, yeah, game. but even then, we're talking years, about. That's almost 15 years ago. Exactly. And <laughs> Elliot, you know, if you want to step in on uh, – buddy to have something change like you wait maybe a month you wait maybe two months you don't wait three years and you certainly don't wait 15 so (laughs) there's got to be something that brings iowa's downfield passing game into the 21st century i almost said 20th it's not that rough yet but there's got to be something that brings it into the century where all these players had actually been born and it's not there yet. And every defensive coordinator that they face, or ninety percent of them, especially the ones with the talent to to match up with Iowa, you know, one to eighty-five, they all know. Like this is this is a crossword puzzle they've all solved already. Like, <laughs> I wonder what goes in here. Like, this is it's not a challenge for them. And you can. He keeps getting away with it, like you guys said. Kirk Ferentz keeps winning these games until he doesn't. He wins 10 games, but once those advantages that he likes to enjoy run up against some real challenges, it gets ugly quick. And they've got to figure out how to bridge that gap. Otherwise, this is a script that we're going to keep seeing over and over and over and we're going to see the upset script less and less and less. So a couple things on that. 
15 years ago, I was 12. If we're talking about our best friends, I think my best friend when I was 12, I don't talk to him anymore. I don't even know what he's doing. I think he's married. Couldn't tell you. Didn't like him in high school. So <laughs> there you go. Um, And then when we're talking about moving forward, we're talking about these this grand scheme things. Another point that I made in the article is that now, I prefaced my question when I asked Kirk about this last night. I said, you know, I know you don't want to look too far ahead, but when we're talking about how you fix this offense, what are the next steps? Guess what his first response was? I think uh, you know this, Adam, maybe not. But but do you know what his first response was, either of you guys, off the top of your head? You told me already, but Ross, what do you think? Uh, we got to look at the film or something or uh... – well, the first thing I'll say is we lost our quarterback that was supposed to be our starter this year. Oh, right, right. I don't know if you heard. So. Wow, breaking what, news, breaking news. Right. <laughs> what I think of here is like, a lot of people take issue with that type of statement. And I do too, to a degree. One thing I you can't say about Kirk is that he does. You can't say that he doesn't go to bat for his players, right? Mm -hmm. Like he wants to defend his players. That is like the utmost priority for him when he is in pressers. Um, he will almost not say anything negative about Deacon Hill. If that, if you need any point to illustrate what I'm saying there, um. And, you know, other than we need to stop turning the ball over. But I don't know what the thought process is in not referencing something substantial of how do we fix this problem? I What I do understand is defending your players, one, and two, not giving away too much, right? Those are two things he will almost never do pretty much never do but what i don't understand is under this severe scrutiny from not only the media and the people outside the program which he could give a shit less about for being like it's that's just true but to not substantiate it and say we got to do xyz better give us one thing man Give the fan base one thing, man, you know, and, and maybe maybe this isn't going to, you know, strike a nerve with anybody. I, I, I might be beating a dead horse there when I when I mentioned that. But like. He said that and then he just went into and our players showed a lot of resilience this year, like. And and I don't want to focus Which on next true. year. I want right, to. Right, 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 yeah. right. And I don't want to focus on next year. I want to focus on next game and these next four weeks and like yeah but like you have you have a monumental decision ahead of you you know i i i just i don't get it i i feel like that's a common <laughs> that's a common theme with this offense i feel like i'm on the precipice of making a point this has happened several times this year i feel like i'm on a precipice of making a point and then i can't i just can't get there because it's already been said and i finish it with i don't get it because i don't yeah uh I, i've got his quote 
the 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 end part of it in front of me here um he says um uh worry about next year next year we're worried about the next game we have four weeks to get ready for it give or take whatever we'll find that out tomorrow that's our focus i'm not thinking that globally right now and i i take him at his word on that right i i he probably has not thought you know about how do we fix this in the big term big picture right but it's you can't also be mad at people for asking because yep. you can think big picture while you're still focusing on small things, right? We're human beings. We have capability of doing all that. I can think big picture about, you know, how our, how we're going to cover the, the season in 2024 and still like drive my car home <laughs> <laughs> to, to use an example from this afternoon, right? Uh, being on the interstate, you know, I don't have to pick between the task of driving and the task of thinking about bigger things. I don't have, right? And so to just say, ah, you know, that's that's a tomorrow problem or, or that's a January problem or, or something like that. Man, it must be nice. You know, like that must be nice because that is... That's a question that people have now, and it's a question that people had last year, and it's a question that people had the year before that. And so to just keep kicking the can is, you know, people can read that as, I don't want to say it's a dereliction of responsibility, because at the end of the day, all we're doing is talking about a coach at a post-game press conference, but it's also, like, it's a problem that needs attention and a fix because if you don't fix it and again said it a thousand times that gap between Iowa and the rest of the in, in the top of the big 10 and that top is about to grow bigger with all their buddies from the west coast that gap's just only going to increase and you know it's a you can say worry about next year next year but i have a feeling Kirk Ferentz is worried about a lot of next years in current years over the years say years more often adam (laughs) right like there's no way there's no way that he hasn't thought about this in the big picture and it's 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 sort of a bummer that he he is playing this one close to the best and i i just don't think it serves anything elliot sorry let me make this point and then i'll uh, get off to you ross because uh this is going to be very quick in reference to looking to the future or choosing not to look to the future. I want to make a Simpsons reference. There's an episode where Homer is drinking a mixture of mayonnaise and vodka. And I think uh, his wife, I can't remember her, Midge? Marge. 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 Marge says, like, Homer, you should stop doing that. You're going to feel awful. And Homer goes, that's a problem for tomorrow, Homer. I'd sure hate to be that guy. Yeah, like, that's that's kind of what kind of what we're doing here. Okay, the mayonnaise Ross, and water, it. the the mayonnaise and vodka offense right here. <laughs> there's there's a lot of mayo in this offense. I, <laughs> I, I know that for sure. Oh. Uh, I was just you know to Adam's point about kicking the can. It's kicking the can until he no longer has to answer that question, which is when the season's over. You know, he doesn't want to. He's not going to say anything now. And as soon as January rolls around, and after the bowl game. He doesn't have to talk to anybody for several months at that point. So 
you know, it's just try. It's it's avoidance is all it is. And Adam's right. Like it's something that needs, you know, an an actual formal acknowledgement. And you know, he's not going to tell us his exact plans, obviously. But no, you know, some sense that yeah, you know, I, we acknowledge that yeah, this is something that needs to get fixed. We are going to, you know, we are working on it. We have plans to do something, you know, et cetera. Like that's, that's what people want to hear, I think. And this whole, you know, you know, oh, you know, we're not even thinking about that. We're thinking about, you know, the opponent. We don't even know four four weeks from now. That's, that's the focus of our attention. It's like, you can't spend any, you haven't thought at all about how to, how to fix the offense that's been terrible for the last, 13 14 weeks that hasn't come into your thought process at all over the last three months come on come on nobody believes that the one of the things that is a blessing and a curse or blessing and a curse about kirk ferentz is his intransigence he gets stubborn he digs his heels in on the things that he believes are correct and continue to be correct. That is, you know, sort of the reason why he's been in Iowa City for 25, or as he'll tell you, 34 years. Uh, it's the reason why Phil Parker's been with him all this time. It's the reason why assistant coaches, I mean, we know that they've gotten a lot of attention from bigger programs. And I'm not even talking about Gus Johnson and USC and that crap. Uh, like, there have been offers, like, Bigger programs with a lot more money have come for Iowa's, uh, you know, two of the coordinators at the very least. And so the the fact that – God, I lost my train of thought. We'll, we'll pause this one here. Uh, what was the point I was making? Oh, yeah, his intransigence. Thank you. So the fact that he gets his heels dug in is the reason why he's been around for so long and why he gets the mantle of Dean of the Big Ten coaches. But it also means that things like this, where the football that he understands starts to get outdated, right? Starts to get solved by other teams. The more people start to like bring that up and be like, gosh, how many times have we gotten a dismissive answer out of him whenever anybody brings up the spread offense or anything about it? And, you know, some of that dismissiveness has sort of served him well because look what Iowa did at Wisconsin. Look what the rest of the Big Ten did to Wisconsin. And everyone was in love with the fact that Wisconsin implemented the spread. And 19th so that's ranked to start the year. My ass. Yeah. Golly. <laughs> that's that's probably exactly what Paul Christ said, too. The, <laughs> but it serves him well at times and he's got the record to back it up. And, and he's on the precipice of, you know, the college football hall of fame at, at the very least he is. And somewhere between an anachronism and a unicorn in terms of what college football coaches are today. But it also means that when there is a pretty easily defined problem by everybody, except Kirk Ferentz, that he's just going to be like metaphorically middle fingers up. Like I'm doing this my way. I'm protected and I've got the record to back it up. And I'm not going to let a bunch of brokies tell me how to do my job. Like a lot of coaches think like that. That's not a, that's not a, a directed criticism of Kirk, but it is a fact that 
some of these brokies know what we're talking about. And at the end of the day, the people who are buying these tickets, the, the, the reason that all this money is there for Kirk in the first place, all this attention is there for the first place is that they want to watch some exciting football and to be like, screw you all. I'm not, you know, I'm not changing my core values here. It's okay to like core values are a good thing to have, but a core value, like the outside zone is not a core value, right? <laughs> Having the same play action, like roll out, tight end flat thing that's not a core value that's just like a, a playbook that needs to be updated especially when you see so many i i get that we're not talking about mike leach and the air raid and four verts etc cetera, etc cetera, as much as fans want to see that uh, but it is a situation where they just want to see a dangerous offense a, 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 an offense that's dangerous to the opposing defense right <laughs> Not that to themselves. Yeah. Not not the like leaking uranium type of dangerous. The that's what fans want to see. That's why they show up. That's I mean, they also want to see wins, right? And the sellouts prove that fact. But at the end of the day, what's going to keep these fans coming back is uh, you know, obviously wins still, but they, they want to be entertained too. Gosh, I'm women's basketball. The wins help, but people liked that team to begin with because they score so many dang points. Uh, men's basketball is sort of the same thing. If Fran McCaffrey were had the same record but with, like, lick lighter scores, I don't think he makes it this far in Iowa City because it, it would just be dreadful to watch them, even if they're winning 18, 19, 20 games. And, you know... Kirk can do this when they're winning 10 games, nine games, eight gets dicey, seven really gets dicey and anything below that. And the tolerance for a 17 win or a 17 point per game offense is out the window. So, man, he's playing with fire for as long as he wants to kick this can down the road and it has worked so far, but as anybody who has ever worked in the stock market or marketing can tell you, Past performance is not indicative of future results, and or past results are not indicative of future performance. And oh, the the metrics, the the underlying everything about this team and the offense are not great. And it's it, it's if you wait for this to become a three and nine problem or a two and ten problem or something like that, you've waited too long. And that would have some really long term ramifications in terms of the health of this program and by association the athletic department so this is not just idle speculation it's not just like i want my i want the scoreboard and i want fireworks no like this is this is what people like giving people what they want to see has a material benefit to the athletic department and to the way that people see your program and to your recruiting frankly right it would be so much easier to recruit wide receivers to Iowa City if they thought they had a prayer of getting a thousand yards. To say nothing of even five hundred, right? They guys go to programs for more than just playing time and stats and results and all that, especially at Iowa. But they do want those things too, and you don't really see the benefits come through in recruiting 
when you're not giving them anything to like aspire to or a, an example where they're like, I want what that guy has. Which wide receiver on Iowa's roster right now in terms of the production that they've had as a Hawkeye, if I'm a recruit, if I'm 16 years old, which of those guys am I looking at, at that roster and saying, I want that career. I want what he has done. When's the last time Iowa has had a receiver who has had that sort of productive career where a recruit says, yep, I want that to be me in five to seven or four years or whatever. Who's the last one? And that is a sort of a self-perpetuating problem. And so that is another reason why this is a really, really important discussion as in, in more than just aesthetics. Marvin McNutt? Yeah, 15 years. Probably. Yeah. I mean, the other only other name that comes to mind is like Amir Smith Marset, but like good career, not an not an outstanding one, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I it he would be a good example, but that's that's sort of the example that proves the rule over the last 15 years. Like we we came up with one name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's bleak. It's bleak, and and that bleakness is something that Iowa would do really well to change. And based on Seth Anderson and to obviously to a certain degree Caleb Brown, transfer portal can only do so much when you're talking about bringing guys in, um, paying them money through NIL, and hoping that they have any sort of level of production close to a Marvin McNutt, um, close to an Amir Smith-Marset. Now, is there anything you guys wanted to hit on when we're talking about the Big Ten championship game before we talk portal very briefly and then and then get out of here? I think we've beaten that horse pretty pretty dead. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. blue. It's, I've, I've got horse entrails on my shoe now. Ew. <laughs> R.I.P. Now, speaking of portal, wide receivers, et cetera, um, well, I guess one positive that I did want to hit on very briefly, it's been all over Twitter, Cohen Entringer, that play on special teams on the 87-yard punt, missed the tackle, got up, flew downfield, made the tackle. Obviously, Michigan ended up uh, scoring on that possession anyway, but um, Kirk spoke about it today during his presser. I don't know if you were able to get on that Ross, but, um, and Adam, I know you were on the road yet, but, uh, he said it reminded him of Cooper in the, uh, bowl game against Kentucky when Cooper didn't really play a whole lot, but Cohen comes in and has to serve as the gunner in replacement of Cooper. And I think he's done a good job. He's just not Cooper DeGene, man. Like he's just not. And so many different plays, last night where I'm sure you said it to yourself as well, Adam, and I'm sure you did too, Ross, man, would have been great to have Cooper there. Yeah. A lot Sean of Lee punt returns punts themselves. I mean, even like offensively again, as a decoy, like that dude was just sorely missed. But I, I think that play from Cohen is very um, encouraging. And now, I believe he projects to safety, free safety. I personally think that Quinn Schulte comes back next year. 
who knows? I mean, like there's no guarantee. Right. But I think he and, and X on the back end of the defense is going to be good and, and fun. Oh yeah. Um, Cohen's Cohen's on the come up and I think he's, he's going to be really good. Um, other than that, go ahead, Ross. I was, you know, I mean, maybe uh, cash is a spot for Cohen, you know, if they're trying to find yeah. a spot for him in that defensive backfield, you know, Castro is going to be gone after this year. <clears throat> So, you know, there'll be, there'll be a spot there. So he said he hasn't decided what he's doing yet, Castro, but I, yeah, he's got to go to the NFL, right? Like, it's not like the stock is going to get higher. Yeah. Yeah, And that that cash position. position, Yes. Like, don't don't take those reps and, you know, not get paid for it. (laughs) Like at this point, like I, I I love watching him in, in black and gold. He's, he's been one of the, best things about this season i will say but um i i hope he can go and get paid in the nfl he's he deserves it yeah like he'll be on your body around like that then you there better be two commas in your paycheck but yeah sorry i interrupted you castro will be awesome on special teams at the very least oh yeah i think he'll be really good on special teams um who knows if he's a starting safety corner or whatever but he's been great this season in that cash position now Oh, did you have something you wanted to add, Adam? All, all, all I'll add is that the history of, and honestly, where I thought Ross was going to go with this, but the the history of the cash position since Phil Parker put it in at Iowa, you you look at guys like Amani Hooker, Geno Stone, Dane Belton. Those guys not only made it to the NFL, but they're productive in the NFL today, all of them. And so, boy, you look at Castro compared to even the way that those guys played the position, which was great. All three of them were great cash. I, I put Castro right with them too. And unless there's something awful about how he projects to the NFL, and I, I don't know what it would be because uh, he, he certainly seems fast enough. He seems big enough. He seems strong enough. Like he, he can hit. It all looks like it translates to the NFL and everything everything tells me that guy is going to get drafted and he's going to have a productive career, whether it's, you know, three, four, five, 10 years, whatever it is, like teams are going to get something out of him when they're, when he's in the league and and they're going to be really happy. He was a member of their team. I am very, very confident about that. Okay. So talking portal now, um, portal opens, well, if, if you're listening on YouTube as I post this, I usually post the YouTube feed first. Tomorrow, if you're listening on podcasts today, as in Monday, or you might be listening to it on, on YouTube on Monday as well. I don't know your life. Anyway. They, they um, might listen to it next year, too. We don't know. Uh, who am I to judge? And so, with that said, if you are listening or watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, drop a like, drop a comment, anything you're thinking uh, that Iowa maybe could have done differently in that Big Ten championship game, who they should go after in the portal, who you think is going to enter the portal that hasn't already. With that said, D- Brendan Diaz Hernandez is the first Iowa Hawkeye to announce that he will enter the transfer portal. He hasn't yet because only grad transfers can enter already. But tomorrow will be the date that you can officially enter, start hearing from schools etc. And backup DB started the year on the two deeps. If I remember right, he was definitely on the two deeps at one point or another throughout the year, um, ultimately replaced by John Nestor. And I think on special teams as well, but I, he, DS Fernandez did play in all 13 games. So he did see the field one way or another four years in Iowa city still has three years of eligibility left, only two tackles. 
So he's, he's a guy that I don't know, may have seen some time in the future, but um, he'll be headed elsewhere, probably the FCS, probably G five, something like that, just because of the lack of, of reps. Um, but wish him all the best. Secondarily, Spencer Petrus commits tonight. He's headed to Utah State. Um, a similar situation. Did you not see that yet, Adam? No, no. Well, good for okay. him. I'll say that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we we didn't write anything on the site because we don't really write stuff when guys commit out of the portal unless it's something huge. But um, from Iowa anyway. Um, but uh, he's headed to Utah State for his his final year. No, it's no shame and heading out to Utah for a year. Um, imagine that, that he'll be out there for the spring and then of course into the fall and and then move on with a great start to his coaching career. Um, other than that quick, we'll, we'll make this quick. Obviously it's going to be dependent on who leaves for the NFL and who leaves in the portal. What positions we'll just say three three positions do you think Iowa should go after in the portal based on what we know right now? I'll start. Go, Ross, you go. Uh, offensive line, um, wide receiver, and um, I will say linebacker or my three. Same thing as last year. Almost. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, wide receiver, I mean, they just need more guys there. I think we've seen it. I mean, I, we can argue about the scheme and the X's and O's, and that's a big part of it. But they also just need more capable bodies at that position. Offensive line, I think, you know, and unless some guys are going to make some big jumps this offseason, they need guys that can contribute uh, at a Big Ten level. Um because the offensive line has been a real weakness. It was better this year, uh, certainly at, more so at, at some times and other times. But, I, you know, in that Big Ten title game, there was just some some problems with that unit. And, you know, if they can try to upgrade that through the portal, I think that would make sense. Linebacker, I mean, they look like they're – I mean, they're going to lose Higgins and Nick Jackson both, I believe. So, you and know, Kyler Fisher. Holes. Yep, well, that is true. And Kyler Fisher. You know, I know they have a lot of young linebackers that haven't played a whole lot. So, you know, hopefully they can, you know, step in and step up. But, you know, linebacker is also a tough spot with that much youth that you want someone that kind of knows what they're doing, I think. So if they can get a, a veteran guy in there, I think that would really help. Elliot, you were excited about something. Well, maybe not excited might not be the, the right <laughs> phrase for what I'm about to say. So you lose Nick Jackson, Jay Higgins, Kyler Fisher, and Sebastian Castro. Yeah. Oh, a lot of hitting leaving. Oh, Adam. Yeah, Iowa defense, kind of a donut. The middle is gone. Right. Adam, three three positions you're looking at in the portal for, for Iowa. Yeah, I, I think Ross's list was, was pretty bang on. The one thing that I'll add is defensive tackle. Uh, Noah Shannon, obviously not going to be back there. And, uh, you know, they've got YA Black. They like him. Uh, and Terrio Thompson, uh, Pittman I is. I do believe be YA might be leaving for the NFL. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if he was going to use his. So that just furthers that. your point. Yeah. 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 But, you know, yeah. um, Pittman has to has some growth potential there. Uh, Graves, obviously, 
you know, I didn't see as much out of Graves this season as I thought I would. And and some of that just has to do with the fact that Logan Lee and uh, YA Black, especially in the back half of the season, uh, were so reliable. But, you know, Logan's leaving. And that is a an enormous I, the fact that the defensive line is losing Logan Lee and Noah Shannon off that. Like there are so many programs that would be freaking out about what they're going to do at defensive tackle uh, with losses like that coming. Now, again, you know, they've got Aaron Graves, they've got Pittman, they've got Terrio. You know, not a whole lot out outside of that. You know, they they they've recruited it, but that's a situation where if you can bring in somebody who is you know that sort of two eighty, really disruptive guy, or if you want to go sort of the Matt Cruel route of a guy who just eats up blocks and keeps your linebackers, uh, you know, clean and and you know making their plays. There's a way to do that too, but it, it really does seem like Iowa's about one or two bodies away on that defensive interior in terms of like impact players, uh, it, especially for the way that Iowa wants to play that position. So I'm very curious to see how they they manage that front seven on the defensive front. And Ross, like you said, offensive line, you know, especially when you're talking about the guys that they did bring in, Dejon Parker's, I, I, between Parker and Feff. Do either of them have two years? I can't remember. No. If at most one of them, yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah. Um, so like, Kirk, those are guys Kirk, that were helpful. Kirk was asked about Dejan potentially being able to get a medical redshirt, and he said he didn't think so. Um, so I, I guess maybe there's like a ten percent chance of Dejan coming back. Uh, but I mean, he didn't get reps this year, even when Jennings was down. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. blame that on injuries too. You could do that. Um, he was out for pretty much all spring, but, um, but yeah, I, is there yeah, anything else you wanted to add there? Adam? Well, just, just that, um, you know, the fact that the guys that they brought in are already leaving meant that, you know, it, what, what, what had been a short-term fix for this season, which was very beneficial. Like I, that offensive line without rusty Feth would have been rough. Um, but it does mean that that task is right there in front of them again. So I do expect some movement on that front there too. And Ross, like you said, it, it's, it is an opportunity for some of these younger guys to make that step up. Someone's just got to do it. Someone's just got to do it. And, and we've seen a, a few like younger names in the two deeps. I think how those guys, especially guys like um, Peeper, I, I hope it's pronounced Kid, like Kid that. Piper. Piper, yes, thank you. Like that, this is a really nice situation for him to, you know, make that step up. But the opportunity is there. And if they're not seeing it in a way that's really going to help this offense make that leap, boy, you know, if I'm an offensive lineman and I'm looking at the portal and Iowa opens up, I'm thinking at the very least, like, all right, it's an opportunity. <laughs> and like, it's, it's a Big Ten, it's a Power Five, and it's a, but I know they're going to need me. So it's, it would be attractive in, in some ways. So I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that shakes out. The, you mentioned the defensive tackle spot. I think uh, Aaron Graves and Ontario Thompson at the one in the three tech. Oh, 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 disruptive. oh. Yes. talk about explosion. Talk about athleticism. That would be really fun. Now, I to- I definitely agree with you. Um, I mean, like, who's after Pittman? Like, Maddox Borkjerding Johnson, who's a freshman this year? I don't think so. 
I don't think he's ready. And you can't bring in a true freshman who's fresh out of high school to come in and think they'll compete right away at that defensive tackle spot. That's just completely unrealistic. Um, Devin Kennedy, who even gained 50 pounds this year coming in from Arizona. I don't think so. Sorry guys. That's just, it's just so difficult when you're young at that position and you need to put on weight. Now, totally agree with all the positions you mentioned. O-line, you lose Dejon Parker, which is depth. Rusty Feth, you, Nick DeYoung's done. Um, is that it? Um, Logan Jones, you get back, I believe. Yep, uh, yep, he's just a junior. You get Jennings Dunker back. You get yep, both Stevens get back. back. Yep. You get Colby back. You get Colby back. Who? Yep. Richmond? Yep. Wilson. Yep. Um, yeah. and, uh, Con- or excuse me, Tyler Ellsbury's back. So they, they do bring a good amount of depth back, but I mean, I don't think it hurts to bring in competition for Jen- with Jennings Dunker like they did or any of the other positions even really, I mean, Bo Stevens, Tyler Ellsbury, I think they were awesome this year. You got to bring in more depth for the offensive line. You just gotta, um, yeah, now because we, we see what happens when just a, a few injuries what that does to the offensive line. We've seen it over and over. And so even the fact that Dejon Parker didn't play the season, the fact that he was available added a lot of stability. And and he was like 10 or 11 on that list. He probably would have started in 21 and 22. But that is, it goes to your point that you just need that depth in there, even if the guys don't make it on the field. Ross, you had some? I was going to say another position we didn't mention. Um, and it's not necessarily a portal position, but I mean, punter, they'll, they're going to be looking for Tory's yeah. replacement. So. Um, two positions I somebody or something in mind for that, but Australia, um, yeah, yep. Uh, yeah. two positions I think of. I first of all, I agree with everything you've said. Um, second, secondly, consider corner maybe because you've got Deshaun Lee and TJ Hall coming back. Um, depends on what you think of John Nestor. Depends on what you think of this freshman class. Uh, you know, I thought about corner, and my only <laughs> the only reason I didn't name that one is because of the just Grand Canyon size like level of confidence I have in Phil Parker to like develop corners for Iowa. So, uh, they, but you know, they were looking. It's in not the a spring. bad idea. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, and you know, if they can, you know, add add somebody that's a little more game ready maybe then yeah that i don't think that would be a bad idea either and then yeah it go ahead a other position is is tight end because maybe you lose lucas luke lachey and eric all and now i i like zach ortworth he i thought he was good in his snaps he's a freshman right like he had that drop he had that horribly missed block at wisconsin <laughs> that we've referenced before Stuff like that's going to happen when you're a true freshman playing tight end at the Big Ten level. And then Addison Ostranga, I'm a believer. I I think he's next up. Um, But you could go to the tight tight end in the portal. You could. Don't necessarily have to, but you could, especially if Luke Lachey comes back and and if Eric All could come back. He has another year. Then not something you need to worry about. If they both move on, then maybe. Yeah, ultimately, you do need some playmaking power at that position, especially in an offense like Iowa's. I, I too, like, I think Estrenga's got some juice to him. 
Uh, I think Ortworth's got some bright future too, but at the end of the day, you know, we don't see them making plays like some of Eric All's diving catches or, or some of Lachey's like open field plays, or, I mean, gosh, look at what Sam Laporta's, you know, what he did in his senior year at Iowa. And then like what he's already doing in the NFL, like you have to be able to be a difference maker if I was going to be using you to that extent. And, you know, we, we haven't really seen that difference maker level out of Estrenga yet. I think he's capable of it. Like, it, I, I think it's probably a matter of time with him, but it's not there yet. And I, I don't think anybody up to and including Abdul Hodge would tell you it is, um, you know. So that's a situation where if Lachey and all aren't there, absolutely agree. You got to look at tight end and not just like a guy, not the Seth Anderson of tight ends. And, and that's not a knock on Seth Anderson, but it's a, you need that, like, you, you want more of a Nick Jackson tight end. Uh, you you want a guy who has played at a high level, who is, well, I mean, you, you want Eric Hall 2.0, right? Like, I was just going to say that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't, don't have to get too complicated on that one. But yeah, I mean, that is sort of the level of transfer that you would want at tight end if you are going to look at a transfer at tight end and and again like corner is a situation where as both of you mentioned if you're going to play it for phil parker you you got to be able to play it at a high high level and so that is a situation where if there's a guy who's been all conference and his coach just left or or his head coach just left or his position coach or coordinator just left or you know or they just suck in general that's a situation where they can look at Iowa and be like, oh, I can <laughs> I, I can make a difference there. And if I'm a cornerback and that opportunity is there, like if I get that call from Kirk, uh, uh, the conversation's over. <laughs> it's like, all right, sign me up and a discussion. It, like I, I, I can't imagine a better place for a playmaking corner who has, you know, that level of game experience that you mentioned, Elliot. If you can play ball at an Iowa level at cornerback and they give you that call, take it. Don't think twice. You got it. All right. That should pretty much do it. My laptop has been screaming at me for an hour with the fan because <laughs> it gets too hot too fast. So we, I think we'll wrap it up here. I appreciate everybody who tuned into this episode of Hotcast. Before you go, make sure that you like, subscribe on YouTube, drop a comment. What else? What other positions should they go after? Where should they prioritize them? I, maybe you noticed we didn't say QB. That was one thing I was just going to say is that they've, they're going to have four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster uh, at the least going into next season. So with that said, uh, do you still think they should? Anyway, drop a comment on YouTube as well as hit us up on Twitter when this is posted as a podcast. And while you're listening as a podcast, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening. That way you do not miss any episodes. Leave that rate and review. It helps us out a lot, and it's make, it makes us very happy. And if you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that today at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Get all the intel on the transfer portal, recruiting, search for the OC, and more. For now. My name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Adam Jacoby and Ross Binder. We will see you next time.